Morning. All right. I want to talk to us a little bit about faith today. Um, Continuing our discussion about dreaming again, continuing from last week, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, do you not yet understand who I am? They're in the boat. They're having some issues with food. And Jesus says, do you not yet know who I am? Uh, meaning, have you not yet figured it out that I am more than just a man? I'm more than just a friend. I'm more than a good teacher. I'm more than a prophet. I'm more than all those things. I'm the only one who can do anything. Jesus is asking them, have you not yet figured it out? And he asked him this question in Mark 8, 18. He says, do you have eyes and still not see? And so I want to push our thinking a little bit today about faith. I want to talk to us about, obviously, we're, we're talking about dreaming again, but I want to talk to us about what do you see? And I want to challenge your thinking about faith. Uh, here's what I want to say. I want to say faith is really all about what you see. And I know that probably rubs us a little bit because we know Hebrews 11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the confidence uh, of things, what? unseen not seen and I agree with that obviously I'm not going to argue with scripture but what I want to tell you is that faith is seeing it's it's knowing and seeing something in your heart so deeply that it's it's seeing what is unseen it's not with your eyes visually seeing but it's believing so confidently you know the scripture says that faith is the assurance faith is the confidence in what is not seen Something hoped for so confidently that you might as well have seen it. And Jesus looks at his guys in the the boat in the situation. We'll we'll get some details in a minute. But he says to them, do you see me and still not see me? So uh, I want to talk about what we see today. I want to use a little illustration. So um, a lot of uh, professional athletes use what's called visualization to impact how they play sports, to impact what they do. They, they try to visualize um, what they haven't seen accomplished in order to accomplish it. Um, I use the illustration of a, of a tailback or a running back, and uh, maybe, maybe seven times in a row he's lined up to, to go against the defense and try to push through the defense and score that end zone, uh, score that touchdown, cross the end zone line. But every time he's gotten the ball and he's charged through he's been stopped by this massive defender so maybe he goes to the sideline his coach says hey come here you you got to see you got to see yourself doing this you got to try to visualize that you can do this that you you can push through that guy so he tells him i want you to close your eyes i want you to think you know when that ball hits your chest you lock down on it i want you to in your minds, I want you to see that massive guy that's been stopping you every time. And I just want you to lower your shoulder and charge. Visualize. You're going to push him back. You're going to drive your way across the line. When you get across, you're going to throw that ball down. You're going to raise your hands. And it's going to be a huge moment. Do you see it? Do you see it? And the next time he goes out, he's able to do it. Because he's seeing something that he's not yet seen. Well, there was a study done recently about basketball. And um, uh, there were three groups of people that came and did this study. The first group of people, well, they came in actually and they just established a baseline of percentages for how well these people shoot free throws. So they line them all up and they get percentages for how well they're able to shoot the ball and put it through the hoop. 
And for each of these groups, we'll just, we'll just kind of use the numbers. I don't remember exactly, but I do remember uh, the change. But we'll just say each of them shot at 50%. So out of every 100 balls they shot, 50 of them went through. Because they shot on average 50%, every person. Well, then they divided them up into three groups. And these are just normal people. They're not professional basketball players. But they divide them in three groups and they give them three different prescriptions to, to see their shooting percentages change. And so the first group, they said, uh, listen, I want you to come every day for an hour. I want you to stand at the free throw line. I want you to take the ball and shoot it into the hoop. Every day for an hour for 30 days. And we're going to practice you shooting that ball. So your form, getting the ball rolling off your fingers just right, and getting that ball to go right through the hoop. You're going to practice for an hour for 30 days. So everybody did that. The second group of people, they, they brought them in. And they said, listen, you, you can't touch a ball for 30 days. So no touching the basketball, but I do want you to come and stand. Yeah, that's not a mistake. I do want you to come and stand here at the free throw line. I want you to pretend, just visualize the ball in your hands. Do the motions. and Visualize the ball leaving your hand and going through that hoop. You ever seen a basketball player do this? You ever watch them on the sidelines of the NBA? They're warming up. They do this motion. You ever watch that? Why do they do that? Because visualization matters. Seeing what you don't see makes a difference. So here's, here's the way it works out. The, the third group, by the way, um, they said, listen, we don't want you to do anything. Don't do anything. <laughs> we'll just see what changes happen. So um, here's the statistics. So they did this research. Group one who came in and actually physically took the ball and practiced for an hour every day for 30 days, they saw a 24% increase in their free throw shooting. That's pretty massive. So practice matters, right? The group that just came in and didn't touch a ball for 30 days but just visualized a change, they saw a 23% increase. That's wild, isn't it? If you could increase your output of whatever it is you commit your life to by 23% just by visualizing it, would you do it? Yeah, of course, right? So just trying to see what you don't see and just focusing and visualizing and going through that motion and yeah, 23%, it almost exactly the amount of increase of those who actually practiced with the ball. It's wild. And of course, the third group that did nothing, well, they saw nothing. <laughs> no change, right? Same, same terrible shooters. All right, so today what I want to talk about is seeing what we don't see. Here's the thing. It's remarkable how visualizing, just believing, just seeing yourself do it, whether you're a running back trying to push through the, the goal line or a basketball player trying to put the ball in the hoop or trying to live the life that God's called us to live, if you can visualize, if you can see it, it will make a difference. Now, broader than that, I want to talk to you about what you see when you see Jesus. So, in the text that we're looking at, in Mark chapter 8, let me just summarize where we've been. Jesus has recently fed 4,000 people with just a, a, a few pieces of bread and a few fish. He's fed 4,000 people with quite a miracle. Um, and then he, he, the Pharisees come up and they say, hey, show us a sign 
that you're special. Show us a sign that you are from heaven. And Jesus is like, where have you guys been? We just, we just fed like a massive group of people with, with a lunch. Um, he was frustrated and he told the Pharisees, I'm not going to show you any sign. No sign will be given to you. Well, then he gets in the boat with his disciples and they start on their journey across the sea and the disciples have only got one piece of bread and, and they begin to be frustrated that, you know, who left, who left all the food? And, and they're panicking about their meal, uh, whether they have enough money to cross the sea and Jesus is frustrated with them. He's like, guys, do, do you not remember? And he takes them through this history lesson, this math lesson. He says, hey, when we fed the, the 5,000 just, just a little bit ago, we, we only started with a little boy's lunch. And how many basketfuls do we have left over? He says, 12. Well, when we just fed 4,000 people, how many basketfuls of leftovers? Seven. And Jesus says, well, do you not yet understand? Are you not yet getting it? Do, is your heart not perceiving it? Do you have eyes and still not see? So the numbers that we're adding up here add up to a simple equation. And we talked about this last week, but Jesus plus almost nothing equals everything. Right? Jesus plus almost nothing equals more than enough. They had leftovers. Okay, so that's the equation we're talking about, but that's not quite complete enough. Why is Jesus plus almost nothing more than enough? Why? Well, it's because there's something unique about Jesus. See, the reality is that no one of us could sub into that equation in Jesus' place and have the same equation work out. It can't be, we did this in the first service, I'll do it again, Russ. It can't be Russ plus almost nothing equals, what does that equal, Russ? Russ and nothing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Russ plus almost nothing. Same equation for any of us. If you sub me into that equation, you, you've got me plus a, a little bit of nothing. None of us can sub in Jesus' place. The, the point of the equation is not getting everything. The point of the equation is that Jesus is unique. There's no one like him. And the point of this little history lesson and math lesson with his disciples is to go, do you have eyes and you still don't see who I am? You still don't see that I'm the source of life, I'm the bread of life, and you're, you're fighting over one piece of bread because you think it's not enough. Here's the thing. You're looking in my direction, but you don't see who I am. So I wonder about us this morning. We're here, so I assume we're looking in the direction of Jesus. But I wonder if you've really seen Him. And like seeing Him, not just with your eyes, but with your heart. Are you really perceiving who this Jesus is? Has your heart perceived the truth about Him? Well, let's talk about it. Why don't you stand with me? Take your Bibles if you've got them. Mark chapter 8. Yeah, my children ripped some pages out of my Bible. I'm really torn up about it, just to be honest. We celebrated my two-year-old's birthday party. Uh, she's two today, actually, but we had her birthday party yesterday, and she's the one who did this. And I love her anyway, but I'm going to tell you, boy, you want to make a preacher mad. <laughs> That'll do it. Uh, Mark chapter 8. 
Mark chapter 8. Um, I want us to read a little bit more just to get context, and I've already given you a good bit of summary, but we're going to focus in on verses 22 through 26, but let's just read to remind ourselves what the Scripture says. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Verse 12. And Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now when they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat, and he cautioned them, saying, Watch out! Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 people, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets fulls of broken pieces did you take up? And they said seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And here's our text for today. So the boat lands. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. Let's pray. Father, we love your word, we trust your word, we ask you, Jesus, as we open your word and we hear it with our ears and we see it with our eyes, that we would look into the word of God and see Jesus today. Help us to see you for who you truly are, to walk out of here believing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So after their boat lands in Bethsaida, um, some people bring to Jesus a blind man, and they beg him to touch him. So let's, let's don't miss any of the detail here. Every word of this story matters. Every detail matters. And they're begging for Jesus to touch him. Notice what they're asking for and notice how they're asking. They're begging, begging for a touch. Why does a touch matter? Well, um, I, I think back to a lot of unique stories of Jesus healing people and it usually has to do with touch. Do you remember when the woman kind of made her way through the crowd, the woman with the bleeding problem, and she reached out and just, to, just to what? Just to touch him. Just to touch the hem of his garment. And Jesus, after being touched, he feels the power go out of him. He turns around and he says, who, what? Who touched me? There's been this unique thing about touching that through the power of 
physical contact with Jesus, he has healed a lot of people. So these folks are bringing their friend to Jesus and they're begging for him to touch their friend. Well, Jesus does touch him. He reaches out and takes him by the hand, but that's not when the miracle happens. Jesus does something really unique. He takes him and he starts walking. And they begin a journey going outside of the village. Did you catch that detail in the text? He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. That matters. So I was checking this out, just looking through, reading, looking at a map and trying to figure out all that's going on here. And what I discovered is this is not like a walk around the corner, down the block. This is several miles. So we're talking about hours of walking. So think for a minute how awkward this journey is to take a blind man by the hand and walk across some pretty rugged terrain for hours. Now think about their question, what they're asking Jesus to do, and what is his immediate response. It's not really exactly what they wanted, right? It's definitely not how they wanted it. And Jesus grabs him by the hand and takes him out of the village. And we're not given any details that Jesus kind of told them what was going on, you know, I, I, just knowing Jesus, I doubt he did. I think probably he just took him by the hand and started going. I doubt he said, hey, listen, we're going to walk outside the village. When we get out there, here's what I'm going to do. By the way, I'm going to be spitting on your face. Hope that's okay. <laughs> I doubt he talked through those details. More than likely, he just takes him by the hand and says, if you want healing, trust me enough to just walk. And they go for a tough, long trek outside the village, maybe, this is just presumption here, but maybe 20 minutes into this hike, some of those friends are like, you know what, forget this, I'm done. Maybe when they get to the city limit, some guys are like, really man, I can't even see my house from here, you're still going? Forget it. Maybe when they get, you know, 10 minutes outside the city, the guys are like, Jesus, what are you doing? And he's just walking. He gets him outside the village. So I'm imagining that Jesus is pressing into this moment. He's pressing faith into this moment even before the miracle. Think about it. In order to go on this little trek, you've got to believe something's going to happen at the end of this journey to even be along for the ride. Jesus is pressing these guys to believe. Do you believe enough to just keep walking? Okay, they didn't. You believe enough to just keep going? He's pressing faith into this moment even before a miracle. Finally, they get outside the city. Jesus turns to this blind man and he does a really surprising thing. Remember, they asked for a touch and Jesus goes... <laughs> right? I imagine those guys who were along for the journey were probably like, whoa, 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 what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Oh. You know? I mean, this is a surprising moment, right? He just spits right in the guy's face. It's pretty gross. 
They asked Jesus to touch him. He chose to spit. It's interesting. Let's don't miss the details. Then something incredible happens. Jesus puts his hands on this guy's eyes and asks him a question that I think maybe he wants to ask us today. Do you see anything? Now, I want us to connect the dots all the way back to our disciples, right? This is the same question Jesus is asking the disciples. Do you have eyes and still don't see? And now here Jesus is with this blind man just moments later. I think this is a teaching. There's, there's always multiple things Jesus is doing when he does a miracle. He's not just healing a blind man. He's trying to heal his disciples' doubt as well. And ultimately, he's trying to heal our doubt. He's trying to open our eyes to see that he's not just some guy. He's a miracle worker. The blind man says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Now, if we're not careful, we probably look at that, that part of the story and we're like, oh, he didn't even heal him completely. This, he didn't even quite do it right. And I'm, I'm, I'm just stumbling into this man's first two words here. We're talking about a man who's been in the dark, not been able to see. He's been on a long journey, a long trek now. He comes to the end. He just got spit in the face. Jesus touches him. And in his first two words, Jesus says, do you see anything? And his first two words are, I see. That's amazing. Just the fact that that moment happens, he says, I, I see. I see men. But they're they're moving. I can, they look kind of like trees walking. I don't, I don't see it perfectly, but I, I see. I don't think we hear the implication of all that's going on for this guy. He's, he's got a glimmer of hope, a little bit of assurance, a little bit of confidence that Jesus is walking him into a process of seeing Jesus with clarity. He's walking him into a deep kind of faith. And in this moment, he's like, oh, well, I can see a little bit. And Jesus goes, okay, I'll touch you again. And he puts his hands on him again. He pulls him off and he asks him again, what do you see now? And the Bible says that uh, he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. This is an incredible story. Um, as we've talked about, Jesus does nothing and he says nothing by accident. Every detail of this is intended to show us something. So what is it? Jesus is always doing things in layers. He's not ever just healing someone. He's teaching this group. He's teaching this group and he's teaching us thousands of years later realities and truths about him that we've got to get a grip on. So I want to ask you today, when you look at Jesus with the eyes of your heart, not just talking about what you see with your eyes. Not interested in that. Don't, I don't really care what imaginary picture of Jesus you have in your mind. What I want to know is when you see Jesus with your heart, who do you see? What do you see? Do you have eyes and still not see him? Are you looking in his direction and still not seeing him? So if we want to see Jesus with faith, 
I want to give us three things to take home and talk about over lunch. I want to give you three things. One, if you want to see Jesus with faith, you may need to get out of your village. You may need to get out of the village. So so there's an interesting detail here in Mark 8 that we just don't see many other places, but there's an interesting detail twice. The beginning of this miracle and at the end, Jesus... The the beginning is he led him on this walk outside the village. And at the end of the miracle, he says something unique to him. He says, I want you to go home, but don't even enter the village. Why? I mean, why? why? What's so bad about Bethsaida? I don't get it. What's the problem with Bethsaida? Why can't I go back the way I came? Um, why, why, Why do you not want me to go back into the village? So I started digging, you know, what's unique about Bethsaida? So if you got your Bible, I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 11. I want you to see what Jesus says about Bethsaida in another place in Scripture. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 20. Jesus began to denounce the cities, listen, where most of His mighty works had been done because they did not repent. So listen, they had seen incredible things, but it wasn't enough to change their lives. Listen to what he says. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Listen to what he's saying here. He's telling them, you've seen and yet you still do not see. Bethsaida is a city filled with people who have seen miraculous things and have still not come to see the Jesus who's doing it all. They've still not come to repent and believe, to trust in Him with their lives, to surrender their lives to Him. They're just fans of Christ. They're not followers. They're fans. Like they come for the show, they love the show, they go home, they talk about the show, but nothing about the show has changed their lives. They're not repenting and following this Jesus. They're not surrendering to Him as Master and Lord. They're just here for the, for the show. They're fans. They're not followers. And later in this chapter, Jesus is going to say, if you want to follow me, in verse 34 and 35 of Mark 8, He's going to say, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. Following me is going to be hard. You want to just be a fan or do you want to be a follower? And I'm telling you, Bethsaida is a city of fans. And just like the Pharisees, no sign will be done there. Blind man, you want to be healed? Let's go for a walk. Outside the city. You can't stay in a community of doubters and see Jesus differently. Jesus says, if you want to see clearly, get out of the city of unbelief. Get away from those people who who continually say, he's just, you know, whatever. Man, you're crazy. Like you're gonna you're gonna make that decision? Why? Like you need to you need to pursue these things. You go, well. Jesus is telling me to pursue these things. Ah, who's Jesus? You may need to get out of your city of unbelief. Second thing, you need a touch from Jesus. 
touch from Jesus. Blind people cannot fix their own blindness. This is the reality, right? The reason they brought this man to Jesus and begged for a, a touch is because he wasn't able to fix it himself. Blind people, we, we just can't open our own eyes. And again, we're talking about physical blindness with this man, but the parallel is perfect here of spiritual blindness. And, and we as human beings are blind to who Jesus really is. And we need our spiritual eyes open to see Him for who He is. Not just look in His direction, but see Him for who He truly is. We desperately need a healer, and the only healer is Jesus Christ. He's the one to whom we have to beg for a touch, and we need Him. And the, reality, the reality is most of us blind don't even know we're blind until your eyes are opened. Right? And then you see a whole new world that you've never seen before, and you're like, wow, I was blind. It, it reminds me of a movie I watched and liked um, years ago. I hadn't seen it in a long time. But uh, the movie's called The Truman Show. Anybody seen this movie, Truman Show? Yeah, you can raise your hand. Anybody seen the movie? I'd love to. Okay. Um, for those of you who haven't seen it, I recommend it loosely because it's been years since I've seen it. So I don't know what's in it. Um, don't watch it with your five-year-old. I don't know. Um, I don't remember. But The Truman Show is a movie Jim Carrey's in. And uh, he plays this part of a character named Truman. And uh, just to summarize real quick, he's born into a reality TV show. His whole birth, his, his parents are all actors. The home he grows up in, it's all fake. The, the job he goes to and the work he does every day as a grown man is all fake. Everyone is acting. Everybody around him. And there's a worldwide audience that's outside this bubble that he doesn't know about and they're all watching him. He's the center of his own little world and he doesn't even know it. He's blind but he doesn't know it. And I think that is the reality for a lot of people spiritually is that we are blind and we don't even know we're blind. We're just living in our own world because we're the center of it. And the reality is that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they will not see the glory of Christ in the face of Jesus. So that they will not see that He's the image of God. So here's the thing. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that when you look at Jesus across the boat, across your one loaf of bread, all you see is another person. He can't help me. The God of this world wants you to think that. But the reality is that He's the glory of the anointed one of God, the image of the invisible God, the only one who can rescue you, the only one who can open your eyes, the only one who can rescue you from your sin. He's the only one who can. You need a touch from Jesus. The last thing I want to say about this is just notice things didn't go quite as they had expected. You know, they wanted him to touch him right then and Jesus took him by the hand and went for a walk. They wanted Jesus to touch him and instead of touching him first, he spit in his eyes. God doesn't do things the way we expect. I, I need, I'm, we need to say that again because I think we all need to hear that again. God doesn't do things the way you expect. 
Maybe you're at a crossroads of your life or you're at a, a point of struggle and um, things are not going the way you planned for them to go. What you'd hoped for them to happen, it's not happening. God doesn't do things the way you expect. He's full of surprises. When you want a touch, He may just spit in your face. Right? You may need a touch from Jesus. And by that, what I'm talking about is you need to have your eyes open to see Him for who He is in salvation and be rescued. The third thing is you may need another touch from Jesus. So again, this is the only miracle in the Bible where Jesus does it in phases. Every other time He does a miracle, He heals them and it's, it's done. Start to finish that moment miraculously done. Um, there's one moment that comes to my mind where this, uh, this guy's daughter is dying and the, his servants come to him and say, hey, our, our, our master's daughter's dying. You've got to come. Please come. And Jesus is on his way there and then they send word back and uh, it's too late. And that happened, it was too late because of the woman with the bleeding problem. She stopped him on the journey. She touched his garment. He healed her immediately. And then he turns to her and says, who, who touched me? And he waits for her to respond. And she speaks up finally. He gives this woman who was an outcast, he gives her a platform to share her story. And he calls her daughter. That's a beautiful moment. Well, then Jesus gets to the, uh, the other place, Jairus' daughter, to... And he finds out it's too late. She's dead. He's like, it's not too late for me. Jesus is unique in this way. You may need another touch from Jesus. So faith is a process. I want to wrap up right here. Faith is a process. Now while faith, seeing what you don't see has a definitive starting point. It's also a process. Colossians chapter 2 says, um, the way in which you began this journey, keep walking in it. So we know that we began this journey of faith as Christians in, in, with two steps, basically, with repentance and faith. We believe and we repent and we believe again, and we repent of our sins. We, we change, our mind is changed, and we believe Him more fully. Here's the, here's the reality. That's how you began a journey of faith, and that's how you continue. Every day, the life of a Christian is this posture of repentance and faith. Constantly learning and discovering areas in you that need transformation, that need to be touched, some blind areas, blind spots of your life that need a touch, another touch from Jesus. And you need Him to touch you and then you need to believe deeper, believe more, believe the reality of who He is more fully. You may need another touch from Jesus today. Maybe there's something in your life, a sin that you're struggling with, a, a I don't know what it is, a stronghold that just got a hold of you. I think about young men, uh, a disciple work with and disciple a lot of young men that struggle with pornography and other issues. And I think about how this is a constant thing. And it's a stronghold, like it's got a grip on you. 
And what I'm telling you is you need another touch from Jesus. Not for salvation, but for freedom. To be set free from that kind of bondage. To have your eyes open to that's how the enemy is keeping you down. That's how he's locking you down. And you need to be set free to see Jesus as the one who can break those chains. He's the chain breaker. I don't know where most of us are on our journey, but for all of us, we need to see Jesus clearly. And for some of us, we've, we've got a film on our eyes. This debris has gotten caught in your eye of the world. And, and the pursuit of stuff in this life has got you missing it. And you're no longer seeing Jesus for who He is. You, maybe you're seeing Him as a means to an end and not the means and the end. And I want to tell you to repent and believe today. For others of us, maybe you need to look at Him and trust that He can carry that burden for you. Whatever it is, that burden you're trying to manage, you're try- you, you think you can handle it. No, you can't. Surrender it to Him. He can handle it. Surrender it to Him. Trust Him today. Or maybe there's somebody in the room today that needs to look at Jesus And see Him for the first time for who He really is. Like He's not just another guy. He's not just another good option for a religious solution. He's not just a a, a person to come and sing to and, and then go about your life. Jesus doesn't need any more fans. He wants followers who are willing to surrender their whole lives to Him. Church, if we'll be a people who do that, who see Him for who He is, and we visualize what He wants to do through us, we will see Him do miraculous things. But if we want to just be a people who come and enjoy the show, we won't won't be encountering Jesus. He's not all about fans. He wants followers. And He wants us to surrender our lives to Him and walk with Him radically. So I want to ask you this morning two things. One, how does God want to open your eyes today? What what does God need to remove from your eyes, this blindness? Is it that you need to surrender your life to Him and trust Him for salvation? Is that you? I mean, have you been a fan, but it's time to be a follower? If it is... Respond to that call today. If for you, there's some junk in this life that's just holding you down. There's, there's sin that you're, that you're still playing with. You, you're still playing with this stuff. And it's killing you. And Jesus wants you to take it seriously. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye is causing you to sin, gouge it out. Take sin seriously. Stop petting that lion. Take it seriously. There's a lion that wants to devour you and you've made it a pallet in your living room. Stop that. Repent and believe. See Him for who He is and trust Him and walk with Him faithfully today. So I don't know what it is that God wants to do in your life, but I know He wants to open our eyes to not just look in His direction, but to see Him for who He is and to be a follower, not a fan.